I am blessed to be here today and uh, look forward to sharing in the Word together today. Before we begin, let's pray and ask the Lord to illuminate our hearts, to open our ears, to give us the message that He has for us, myself included. Shall we pray? Lord, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus. We come just giving you praise, giving you honor, and giving you glory because you alone are worthy. We come today expecting, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us through your word. For we know, Lord, that all scripture is inspired by you and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the people of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to open our hearts and our ears. And I pray, Father, you would give me discernment and help me Lord to communicate effectively so that in all things you will receive the glory and the praise and the thanks and I pray this in the name that's above every name the name of Jesus amen amen well as we come to a post Christmas celebration time <clears throat> I know that uh, there will be a lot of things being done to take down all these decorations <laughs> My wife, she loves to decorate, and she's done a beautiful job with the help of my great-granddaughters. They've really decorated the home in, uh, in a spiritual sense. And we have several nativity scenes uh, around in our home. And as you know, those nativity scenes will soon be coming down. And we take a period of time each year to celebrate the physical birth of Jesus. But as I say, those nativity scenes will be coming down, and in some cases we kind of forget about the physical birth until Christmas next year, perhaps. Today I'd like for us to share in some thoughts about this whole matter, uh, this whole matter of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, when we think about this matter of the birth of Christ, we think about maybe the, the virgin birth, which really ought to be the virgin conception, because when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, that's when the incarnation really began. That's when God took upon himself, if you will, humanity. And so today I'd like for us to talk about that. And to do that, we need to look at several passages of Scripture. So I pray you've brought your Bibles. And if not, you can look over the shoulder of someone else. I'm sure you did. <clears throat> We're going to look in Romans today, chapter 5, for a little bit. And then we're going to look in Hebrews and several passages of Scripture because I am convinced that after the celebration of the physical birth of Jesus is over in what we call Christmas, for Christians there should be a celebration all the time in regard to this matter of the incarnation because the incarnation went far beyond the manger scene in Bethlehem. And for myself, it is important that I am reminded of many of the aspects of the incarnation so that my, my life will be filled with praise. When we look at this matter of the incarnation, I can tell you it's a deep, deep subject. And the three hours that Jim gave me to preach today, <laughs> we won't be able to cover that subject. <laughs> no, the reality of it is there are depths to that, to that uh, truth that are, are beyond in this life our really our understanding but there are some things that God wants us to know about the incarnation and the more we know about it and the more that we 
reflect on it, and the more that we praise God for it, the deeper our faith will be, and also, I believe, the deeper our testimony, or the greater our testimony will be in the world as the church. How many of us know that the church needs to be a light right now? Church needs to be a testimony right now in the world. World is in darkness looking for answers, and they need to see the answer that's Jesus Christ. So as we look in Romans today in chapter 5, we're going to look at several verses, but I want to focus on one particular verse that talks about the why of the incarnation. We, we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate the what, if you will, of the incarnation, but we need to look at the why of the incarnation. So let's look in Romans chapter 5, if you would. And forgive me, I have to put on my glasses here a little bit. The Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the church at, at Rome. I uh, begin there in, in uh, 15th verse. Paul says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. We'll stop right there, and, and I read several verses because it's important to keep it in context, and I'm not going to probably tell you anything that you don't already know, but I thought it uh, important, and I pray the Lord was in it when he led me to this, to help us to reflect again on the truths of what Paul's talking about here. Paul talks about something happening as a result of two, two men's actions. And we all know that because of the sin of Adam, that death came to all men. And somebody said, well, that's not hardly fair. Old Adam made a mistake, and all of a sudden we have to suffer the consequences. God, God isn't being fair about that. But the reality of it is, we have all inherited the sinful nature of Adam. Every one that has been born, with the exception of one, has inherited the sinful nature of Adam. And you say, well, how do you know that, Bill? What's the proof of that? Well, the proof of that is physical death. <laughs> Paul talked about that in Romans as well, when he said that, even though there has not been a commandment from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, death still reigned. In other words, it was proof that man has inherited the penalty of sin, which is death, and therefore we are all under sin. Paul says the result of one man's sin was death for all men. The first thing we have to understand is, and I pray all of you do, is that every one of us are born in sin and every one of us have that sinful nature and there has to, something has to happen to change that. Well, people would say, well, 
uh, yeah, we, we have all messed up. I see that now. I see that we have inherited Adam's sin, but can't we just do something about that ourselves? I mean, Adam, when he was in the garden, he was given a choice. The choice was, don't eat the fruit. If you eat the fruit, you'll die. Adam messed up, and he sinned. And we say, well, maybe we can do better. How many of us know we cannot do better? The sinful nature in us will not allow us to obey the Word of God. We, it is impossible for anyone to find reconciliation with our holy God by their own works. It is impossible. Jim read that verse of Scripture. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so no man will boast. There will be no one in heaven boasting about the fact they got there because they kept the works, the, the law. So we realize that because man could not do anything about it, God had to do something supernatural. God had to do something spiritual to fix the problem. And that one verse that uh, Paul talked about here, he said, because of the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, but because of the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. I want us to focus on that fact because the reality of our problem stems around one word, and that's obedience. And the, and the remedy to our problem is in one word, and that's obedience. We see that the disobedience of Adam brought death, so there had to be someone who could stand in our place and fulfill the law of God and be completely obedient in order for God to pour on his creation what he wanted to pour on them, and that was life, in order to forgive them, in order to give him, them the love that he wanted his creation to have. And so God had to intervene, God had to step in, God had to do the thing that no one else could do. And the way that he did that was in the incarnation. What I mean by that is this. Because man sinned, there had to be a man that, that could obey the law, that could be obedient completely in order for God to be just. If God had just forgiven our sins apart from fulfilling his justice, he would not have been true to himself. And for some people to think that they can become Christians by their works, they are misunderstanding the justice of Almighty God. His justice must be met. It must be fulfilled. And so, in the incarnation, we see God doing two things, expressing his love, but also bringing about his justice that has to be fulfilled. Adam disobeyed. Death came. So someone had to come who was a man, who was every bit as much a man as any of us is in this room. Someone had to come to take the place and be, as the Bible calls, the last Adam to fulfill God's righteous demands. And that is this matter of obedience. When Jesus came, the truth about the incarnation is this. Jesus came to this earth to, number one, completely fulfill the righteous requirements of God. There is no one else that can do it, and in fact, there is no one else that even understands the righteous requirements of God except Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus wrote the righteous commands of God, for in addition to being fully man, he is fully God. 
He is the one who made the commandments. He is the one that not only understands the letter of the law, but completely understands the spirit of the law. And the problem in Jesus' day, as you know, when Jesus was confronted with the Pharisees, they would talk about the letter of the law, but had missed the spirit of the law completely. And they were misunderstanding even what God had intended, and in some cases, making up their own laws. But when Jesus came, fully man, fully God, he came understanding what the law required like no other man that has ever lived. So if someone says you can be saved by trusting in someone else, help them understand there is no one else that understands God's law like Jesus understands God's law because he is God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is, he is God in the flesh, and he is every bit as much God as he has ever been. And we need to understand that not only did he understand the righteous requirements of the law, but Jesus also understood the offense that every sin had brought to God. Do we not understand that sin is an offense to a holy God? Every sin that has ever been committed has been offensive to our God. And Jesus is God. He understood the offense. He understood what had been, happened in the transgressions of every person that ever would trust in him. He understood it like no one else understands. We have a tendency to kind of rationalize sin, do we not? We have a tendency to try to justify sin in some cases. And we can, in some cases, find ways of doing that to ease our conscience. But we need to understand that in the incarnation, when Jesus came to this earth, he came understanding what sin had cost the Godhead, he being the second person of the Trinity. So Jesus came qualified not only to understand what the law said but understand what the law cost God what the the sin cost God no one else can do that we see Jesus coming to this earth God coming to this earth in the flesh so that he could represent God in order for there to be re uh, reconciliation there had to be a mediator someone who understood both parties who understood both parties more than anyone else in order for a, a reconciliation to take place. Jesus understood what it cost God. Jesus understood what the law said. And Jesus, when he came, said in, in the scripture, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With sin offerings and, and, and those kinds of offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here am I. I have come to do your will, O oh God. And we recognize that God, God in Jesus came voluntarily to this earth in order to mediate between a sinful man and a holy God and bring about reconciliation. But when Jesus came, he came not only to, to represent God, but he came so that he could represent man 
so that he could understand what we go through, so that he could be tempted in all ways, the scripture says, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had to be a man so he could understand our frailties. He could understand the issues that we, we deal with. When Jesus was tempted, I believe he was tempted more than any mortal man because Satan knew who he was. And Satan brought temptations on him stronger, I believe, than you and I will ever experience. So believe me, Jesus understands what we are going through. He, he empathized. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our problems, but we have one who has been tempted in all ways, yet without sin, the scripture says in Hebrews. And so let's look in Hebrews for just a minute as we look in the second chapter of Hebrews as uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about this matter of the priestly, high priestly office of Jesus. You know, in the Old Covenant, God gave us a type of Christ in the high priest. In the Old Covenant, he showed us that the priest had to be chosen by God, number one. They didn't take that honor upon themselves, the writer of Hebrews says, but God had to choose them for that office like he did Aaron. And Jesus was chosen in the same way. And in fact, the scripture says that Jesus was chosen with an oath. The Bible says in uh, Psalms 110, it said, I swear, and God said, I swear and I will not change my mind. Thou art a priest forever. And he was talking about Jesus. So God appointed Christ to be the high priest for us. And we know in the old covenant, the priest had the responsibility of making offerings and sacrifices to God. That was their job. They were, if you would, the mediator. The problem with the earthly priests is they had to make sacrifice for their own sin because they were sinners like all the rest. The difference in Jesus is that he had no sin to offer sacrifices for for himself. He was without sin. And so Jesus as our high priest could be the ultimate high priest and instead of offering the blood of bulls and goats, he offered his own blood for the sins of the people because he was the only one qualified to do that in that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and was holy and that he never sinned once when he walked the face of this earth. The high priest, the other problem with the high priest in the old covenant was is that they had to keep offering these sacrifices annually. And those sacrifices were really a reminder of sin, the Bible says in Hebrews. The Bible says when Jesus came, he offered himself once for the sins of the people. And his sacrifice was acceptable to God because it was a perfect sacrifice and it was given not to just cover over sins for a year, but to wash away sins for all of those that would put their faith in Christ Jesus. His priesthood is superior to every other priest because it is a, a, an offering of, of his precious blood. And we recognize that there's another truth about the priesthood of Jesus that was different from the old covenant priest. The old covenant priest died. They have to get a new one every, every so often. Because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those that come to God through him because he always lives 
to make intercession for them, to mediate for them. He is alive today, seated at the right hand of God Almighty, interceding for every person that is in him today. What a blessed thought that is when we think of the incarnation because he bodily was resurrected and bodily ascended into heaven and he will bodily descend to earth one day when he comes back to rule and to reign. But we have a priest seated at the right hand of the majesty interceding for us continually. How many of us know we need intercession continually? Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's look what the writer of Hebrews says, and it's just going to be a reiteration, a little bit of what we talked about as we look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews says that since the children have flesh and blood, beginning there in verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in captivity by their fear of death. It is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That is why it says he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order to become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Brothers and sisters, we can put away the manger scenes and get them out every year to be reminded of the physical birth of Jesus in what we call this this matter of the uh, incarnation. But every day in the life of a Christian needs to be a a reflection on what the incarnation is really all about and why it had to take place. It had to take place because there had to be a man, a physical man to represent humankind, mankind. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. And Jesus understands what you and I are going through and he, he, he wants us to come confidently through the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. He wants us to understand he's there for us every minute, every second of every day to bring us into that right fellowship with God. How many of us know there are times even though we're in relationship with God through his son Jesus, we struggle in our fellowship with God. I'll admit that to you. What I mean by that is the things of the world begin to creep in and fears and doubts and all these things begin to crowd around us and we, we begin to forget the truths of what has really happened in the incarnation and what is true about us if we are in Christ Jesus. See, the reality of it is death came to man, physical death came to man, but spiritual death came to man as well. And we're all going to die unless the Lord comes back physically. But even though death came through a physical man, life and immortality has come through Jesus. Jesus showed that he has power over death in that he was raised from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says there's coming a day when Jesus comes back when we will all be changed. And this mortal will put on immortality and this corruption will put on incorruption and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. 
Can I hear an amen on that? I'm used to hearing amens every now and then. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We think about this matter of the incarnation in abstract terms many times. Let's get him down where we live. Let's celebrate Jesus for his total humanity and his total deity when he took upon himself human flesh. Jesus voluntarily did that, and it was what we call an act of humility. We call it the humiliation of Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians, Jesus, being in very nature God, thought equality with God not something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and, and being made in the in a, uh, appearance of a of sinful man. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah! Hallelujah, what a mighty Savior we have. What a blessed, blessed mediator we have. What a perfect God-man, perfect solution. Jesus had to offer his own blood to pay for our sins, but he did it willingly. Yes, it was God's will that he be crucified in Isaiah, but Jesus wasn't a reluctant participant. He came willingly lovingly, mercifully, graciously to make it possible for reconciliation to come about. For sinful man to be cleansed of his sin so that we could stand in the presence of a holy God. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus, the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live by the flesh but by the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you if you're in Jesus because Jesus is in you. And if you don't have the spirit of Christ, the Bible says, you don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Hallelujah! Amen! Amen! This year, let's spend time celebrating the incarnation of Jesus, not just his physical birth in a manger 2,000 plus years ago, but the reason why he came and the result of what he did by coming and the assurance and the peace and the joy that it should bring to our lives no matter what we are facing. I thank God for the uh, Sunday school lesson this morning. If you didn't get a chance to come to Sunday school, I encourage you to do that in the future. Because we talked about this matter of, of what it means. Blessed are those literally that, that have this, this 
new birth and, the, and, and its assurance by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and we can be reminded over and over and over that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. What a glorious place to be in Jesus. What a glorious position to have to be in Jesus. But let me say this as plainly as I can because I don't know all of you and only the Spirit knows our spiritual condition. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, you have not been born from above as we talked in Sunday school. You are not born again. And unless you are born again, you still have the sin of Adam on you. You need a, and I use this word, a new progenitor, and that progenitor must be Jesus. You need a new ancestor. You need to change your ancestry from that of Adam to that of Jesus. You need to come into a right relationship with God in Jesus Christ in order for his crucifixion, his uh, uh, death that he paid, in order for it to be counted to you. And if you're here today and you are not absolutely sure about that, I would beg you, I would entreat you to come before a holy God and say, God, help me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I want the assurance of my position with you. The Bible tells us that we can have that, not because some preacher tells you you're saved, but because of the testimony of the Spirit that's in you. The Bible says his spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you are a child of God, you are, have an inheritance. You are a joint heir with Jesus and an heir of God. And you and I can rest in the promises of what it means by what Jesus did when he came to this earth in the flesh to please God, to be completely obedient, not only in a sinless life, but in a sin, sinless sacrifice, obedience to death that he, he brought forth when he allowed himself to be crucified. You can have that and have that assurance for all eternity. So I just pray in these days, as we think about this matter of the incarnation, we will reflect on those truths and give God the praise that he deserves. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me as we close here in a minute? And before we sing, and I just pray that uh, God would help us to look to him and look to him only for the assurance of who we are in him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I stand in awe, Lord Jesus, of your incarnation. I recognize that if it were not for that, our sin would still be upon us, and try as we may, we could never bridge the gap to a holy God. But I praise you, Jesus, that you took upon yourself. The Word became flesh. The Word that, that created all things became flesh and dwelt among us. I praise you, Jesus, that you humbled yourself enough to do that because you love us and you want us to be reconciled. I pray, Father, that you would help us in these days to rejoice in the truths of your incarnation. And help us, Lord, to be a witness to a world that doesn't know you 
of what it means to be a child of the living God by the joy and the peace that is evident in our life, knowing that because of what you have done for us, we need fear nothing or or anything that could come against us because you have prepared for us a place beyond understanding. And I thank you for these, your people at Big Creek. I pray you would bless them. And if there is one in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that before this day is over, your spirit would move so powerfully in their heart they could not resist you. And I thank you for what you're going to do now as I pray it in the name above every other name, the precious name of Jesus. (laughs) Amen and amen.